as I mentioned earlier, today we're still carrying on with the theme of living the reality of the kingdom. And this is not merely a, a convenient theme for our uh, conference. This is making connection with the most significant thing that we can be involved in in our lifetime. 2,000 years ago, God came to this planet, incarnated in the person of Jesus, God the Son, the Word was made flesh. And there in his physical presence, he proclaimed under the anointing of God the presence of God's kingdom. The kingdom of God has come, therefore he said, repent and believe the good news. What is the kingdom? We've been looking at that in recent weeks. Go online and pick up some of the messages that deal with that, the reality of the kingdom. The kingdom of God is more than a political domain or something like that. Maybe in the early days they thought it was going to bring about a revolution and ancient Israel would be liberated from the Roman occupation and they would become an independent nation again and carry on as in the days of David. But God had a bigger plan. God had a better plan. He says this kingdom is not just for one nation. It is not about in the first instance dealing with earthly politics. This kingdom is coming from heaven and it's being established on the earth. And just as really as physically as Jesus was there, so that kingdom is coming. Tonight I'm going to answer the question, how does the kingdom come? I'm not going to answer it fully, but I'm going to show you a way in which the kingdom comes that will make you more aware that every moment of every day that God gives you, there is a potential for the manifestation of the kingdom of God. These are the God moments of the kingdom. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 8, from verse 5 onwards, leads to a story of a centurion who came to Jesus asking for help because his servant was ill. Verse 5, when he'd entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, how come and heal him? But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. That place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed. At that very moment. That was a God moment. In my introduction I was talking about how the kingdom is breaking into history. Why it's real. Not just a spiritual idea. Breaking into this earth realm. 
the realm of space and time, this physical planet, geographical location in this bit of the universe. And it has an effect on the earth, the kingdom effect, and Jesus taught us to pray this on a daily basis, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now when we talk about time, there are two basic concepts of time in the Bible. There is that flow of time. And then there are the moments in time. This is the chronological understanding of time. And then this is the opportune understanding of time, the opportune moments. Maybe you can look back in your life and you realize there were certain decisive, defining moments, some opportune moments, and you made a decision or something happened to you, and you can look back and say, from that moment, things were different. It was a turning point in your life, something that helped you link with who you are as a person, what God has called you to do, perhaps, your, your career, your life, your marriage, things like that. Now, God operates in exactly the same principle. There are God moments, moments of opportunity, moments pregnant with potential which leads to destiny. And this is also part of the flow of history. It's not that these two ideas are opposed to one another. Part of the flow of history are those moments that come for each part of the flow is a decisive moment in and of itself. And it is precious. This moment has gone forever. I can't go back and collect it. It's there. And the next one and the next one. And somehow this concept brings us into a sense of urgency that time is precious, that we are to redeem it and make the most of it. The flow of history, the time that God has given to us, history set in motion by the God who said, let there be and there was, sustained and directed by God who is working out everything according to his plan and according to his purpose. We need to be sure of one thing. As we trust in God, we need to be sure of one thing. Our times are in his hand. Psalm 31, 14 to 15 says exactly that. But I trust in you, O Lord. I trust in you. Can you see that? But, but I trust in you. Go back to the original psalm. You see that the psalmist was in great difficulty and, and the circumstances of his life brought to him by the passage of time were not favorable. And he says, I recognize these, these things, but I trust in you because I believe in another kind of God, not just the God who gives me moment by moment, but the God who can intervene in my life in his God moments. Oh Lord, I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from my persecutors. I kind of visualize it like this. Right now, this uh, service is being live streamed on the internet. And I believe that in that spiritual internet of heaven, there are, there are live streams taking place. God is live streaming his plans. God is live streaming his program. God is live streaming his moments and his revelation into our life. And the, it comes moment by moment, but the God moments are happening all the time. And those moments must be captured. I like the analogy which we can draw from the language given when Jesus said, Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That is nothing but an ancient Hebrew expression. If something's at hand, it's here. Not it's coming soon. It's here. If it's at hand, it's here. But I like the way we can play with that illustration and say the kingdom of God is within reach. We reach out and grab the kingdom. It's close by. We can reach out and touch it. It's close by. 
To extend the analogy further, we reach upward for the kingdom coming from heaven and grab down handfuls of heaven. And those handfuls are put to work in our lives. So I want to share two things with you about this before we go into a time of prayer and ministry. First of all, we have the capacity to provoke the moment. Have you ever thought about that? How can you provoke the moment? Maybe there's an opportunity that you're looking for. Maybe it's an opportunity to go for a job interview. You need to provoke the moment. Maybe there's an opportunity you're looking for to invite her out. And I wish you would because some of you guys need your... Okay, never mind. Let's not go there. All right. We, you provoke the moment. Or maybe you want to have a conversation with somebody. Maybe raise something sensitive or something important. You have to wait for the moment. But you don't just wait for the moment. You try and provoke the moment. You try and create that moment in which you can act to do what is on your heart to do. I believe that God invites us to provoke moments with him. My basis for that is the kingdom. While it comes to you, you have to pursue it passionately, even violently. Matthew 11 verse 12 says, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence. Meaning that it invites a violent takeover of your life and also some versions say violently, forcefully advancing. And it's the same word which can have a more active, more passive meaning. So where there is an ambiguity in scripture, I'm greedy, I take both. Yes, the kingdom suffers violence. In other words, the kingdom waits for you to take hold of it. It allows you violently to grab it, but also it is going through your life and taking initiative in you. And it says the violent take it by force. Spiritual violence. Now this is not a makeover or a cover up for actual violence. For the weapons of our warfare not are not fleshly. They are mighty and powerful, the weapons of love. But my, 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 they are powerful. They are violent enough to terrorize the powers of darkness. Our enemy are not flesh and blood people. Never, never, never. It's always the powers that are working behind them and working through them. One of the ways that the kingdom allows itself to be provoked is an answer to our need. And we read the story here of a man who actually provoked the moment. He came to Jesus and presented his need. Do you know that is the most provocative thing to do for Jesus? If you say, Jesus, help me, I have a need. Jesus' compassion, which beats in harmony with the compassion of the Father in heaven, Jesus' compassion is triggered every time there's need, every, everywhere there is a need. And if you have a need in your life, I don't need to be a prophet to say there are people here who have needs. But when you present your need to God, you're provoking him. It's a provocative opportunity to provoke the moment and Jesus was moved with compassion and when we read that very powerful record in the gospels is one of the few phrases that occur in all of the four gospels Jesus being moved with compassion every time Jesus was moved with compassion it was because he was provoked by a human need we read him being moved with compassion when we saw the multitudes. And, and one of the things that we read is that he was moved with compassion because people were sick and he was moved with compassion and he healed them. Provoke God with your need tonight. Come before him and say, God, I need you. And there isn't anyone in this house or watching on our live stream who doesn't need to provoke God. 
what is your need tonight? Go straight to God. This man knew how to go to the top. He was a centurion. He knew about authority in the Roman army. He knew you go straight to the man at the top. You go straight to the one who has the power. Don't waste your time complaining with others, picking up the phone and saying, oh, yes, it's back. What's back? Oh, that, it's back again. Oh, what am I going to do? I mean, share your needs with one another. Provoke one another to compassion. But remember, it's not worth talking to anybody until you talk to Jesus first. Go to Jesus. Provoke him with your, with your need. And, and the God who loves to respond in love and service and compassion is moved with compassion. Jesus was moved with compassion and he healed them. Another time we read of that same phrase, he was moved with compassion when he saw the multitudes there over a weekend conference probably, and they'd forgot to bring their lunch if, if they could have indeed done that, and they were hungry. And the disciples said, send them away. Isn't how interesting the disciples say, get rid of them. And Jesus says, come to me, come to me, come to me. We have a lot to learn, haven't we, as followers of Jesus. And so Jesus said, you, you, uh, you, you feed them. And the truth was it was Jesus' compassion that was provoked by a very real and practical need. Our God is the God who supplies our need. Whatever the need is, I believe that God has enough compassion for you right now. What is it that you need? For us it might be literal physical food as such and we are asking God for the very next meal. Have you been there? I've been there. You say, well, when have you been there? I've been there. I know what it is to be jobless. I know what it is to go around saying, you got a job? I can do it. Well, they were asking for a handyman. I thought, I'm a handyman. I have got, you know, I was a very good dancer, but I know absolutely nothing about anything else to, to do with screwdrivers and this kind of thing. And um, it was quite embarrassing. Anyway, at least I got food out of it. That was as a student back in the day. And then I was working for a drug rehabilitation ministry, and uh, we were a faith ministry, but we were also an action ministry. So part of our faith put into operation was to go to the old Covent Garden market and check for the stuff that those marketeers would throw out, silly people. Beautiful tomatoes, just get a bit of the mold and everything, beautiful fresh tomatoes. And so we'd go out hunting, uh, and before we did that, we'd pray. And so we'd ask the lady of the house, what do we need? Well, we need some lettuces, we need some tomato, we need some potatoes, that's what we need. So we'd say, Lord, lead us to the lettuce, please. Let us pray for lettuce. And we, it would be remarkable. It was just very simple faith put into, into action. And uh, we would gather what was necessary. And, and it would be amazing. And some of the people who would come into the house, alcoholics, drug addicts, were amazed at how God answered prayer. Because we provoked him. He fed them. Another occasion we read of Jesus' compassion. And he saw them as ignorant people without the knowledge of the kingdom. He wasn't insulting them, but he knows that my people fail for lack of knowledge. And he gathered them and taught them, fed them on the bread of life, the bread of heaven. Throughout the Gospels, the repeated phrase of Jesus, the kingdom of heaven is like this. And he would tell a story that was so simple and memorable. Not only that people could re recall it and minister to them later, but that that could be recorded in the scriptures. That's why so much of the teaching is in very simple units of memorable teaching. He gathered them and taught them. 
Another occasion, Jesus saw the multitudes and he was moved with compassion. He saw them as harassed and helpless. And they were, they were like scattered sheep, sheep without a shepherd. And he says, I'm, I'm moved with compassion. Their need provoked him into an action and into a master plan that was established from that day and continues to this very day. Because the next verse we read, when Jesus was moved with compassion and he saw the sheep without a shepherd, he called his 12 and taught them and trained them. And that's how the multitudes are discipled. And that principle of 12 is what we use today. We call it the same principle. It's not about numbers. There's nothing magical about numbers, although the number 12 is very significant. It speaks of the new Israel of God. It speaks of apostolic authority. It speaks of nationhood. It speaks of all of those things. But at the heart of it is a basic principle that Jesus spent most of his time with a mere handful of people because he was going to teach them and train them to go and do the same thing. Oh yes, you can provoke the moment by bringing to God your need. So the kingdom comes in answer to need but also you can provoke the moment when you surrender to his authority. Now, this passage describes true spiritual authority, which is analogous to human authority. Remember, Jesus assumed that this man wanted him to accompany him right the way to the point of need. But this man said, no, don't do that. It is not necessary. He wasn't rebuffing Jesus. Would you, would you turn down in Jesus if he was coming to your house? Would you do that? Oh, okay, yeah, you don't need to, but please come. I'll put the kettle on. No, this centurion was looking in the, into the spiritual realm, and God had given him insight that just as in the earthly natural realm, particularly the army and other places like that, you see this strategic setup of authority. And this man knew authority, he said, you don't need to come. I recognize in you the authority of God. All you have to do is order it and it will happen. So I'm a man under authority and what they tell me to do, I do. Without question. That's what it means to be in the army, in the Roman army. And he says, I have people under me and if I say do it, they do it. If I say jump, they say how high. I have servants. All I have to do is command them. And they do it. And you are a person of authority. I recognize your authority and I surrender to that authority. The kingdom of God is all about acknowledging the authority of God over your life. And that authority is absolute authority. It's the authority of one who existed before anything else existed. The one who is, doesn't just have life. The one who is life. And the one who is the source of all life. The one who is the beginning and the end. The Alpha and Omega. And every letter in the alphabet in between. Our God is the mighty God. No one exists apart from him. You cannot have two eternal beings. God is the only one. And because he has all that authority... The fact that he has created this world with the word of his power is only a demonstration of that authority. It is not a limitation of that authority. The very fact that he created free will beings like you and I who have the freedom of choice to love him, accept him or not, that does not limit his authority. It only establishes authority. Our God is not insecure. He doesn't program us into a pre-planned program of obedience. He lays it out for us and say, come. Follow me. 
And this man recognized the absolute authority of God. He also recognized that that authority had come into this earth. Many of us find no problem in saying God is in his heaven. Everything's okay in heaven. The earth's a mess, but heaven's okay. But one day we're going to get the heaven out of here and live with God far above the clouds forever. That is not God's plan. Well, it's part of it. Of course, it's part of it. We go to heaven when we die, but God has a plan beyond that. He says, I want heaven to come to earth. And as Messiah, Jesus was the first in a flow of manifestation of the kingdom of heaven. He was the decisive inbreaking of the kingdom of heaven. In other words, he carried the authority of God from heaven to earth. And Jesus, even before the cross, was a man of authority. He was the king. He was Messiah. What he said happened. And he carried that authority. But it was not always recognized. One of the great tragedies of this visitation of the kingdom of God in the inauguration of God's great end time plan was that Jesus came unto his own and his own did not receive him. They rejected him. And this, yet this man, a centurion, an uncircumcised Roman, a man who was not part of the covenant privileges, the covenant blessings, and most probably ignorant of the covenant promises, although he may have been a God-fearer, we don't know. But certainly he was not right there in where all countered. But he recognized something because of his submissive and attitude of faith. He recognized something that the scribes and the scholars and the theologians and the great spiritual leaders of the day did not recognize that Jesus carried the authority of God and the authority of the kingdom. And so he surrendered to God. You want to provoke a divine moment with God? Learn to surrender. That's my first point. Learn to provoke the moment. Tonight, we're going to provoke the moment. We're going to come before God and say, God, we need you. Did you hear us? We said, God, we need you. And because we need you, we're wanting to provoke you tonight into showering down upon us some aspect of your goodness and kindness that you have planned for the divine moment that, that is to come. And we're also going to surrender to you, Father, because we know that as we surrender to you, we create an opportunity for your kingdom to come. But it's not enough just to provoke the moment. You have to grab the moment. How many times has a young man and a young woman found themselves sitting across a table at a restaurant or a cafe, and it was a moment provoked by him? He wanted to ask for a more serious kind of relationship. He provoked the moment. The moment was there, but he didn't grab the moment. What did you say to her? Oh, nothing. I, don't, I didn't say anything. Well, you didn't say anything. But you set it all up, man. You took her out to that place, that nice place. But you didn't say, what's the matter with you? You've got to grab the moment. Don't just provoke the moment, but you've got to grab the moment. The kingdom comes through faith. And faith is all about grabbing. I don't mean selfish grabbing. I don't mean that. I don't mean blabbing and grabbing in the selfish kind of a way, but we've got to understand this. The kingdom manifests in substantial moments which are pregnant, and it is our hand of faith that must grab the opportunity. The kingdom comes through faith, and faith is about reaching out into the unseen spiritual realm, touching, laying hold of God's substantial realities, and bringing them back, grabbing them, grabbing them, so that we can 
experience in that divine moment the very blessing and promise of God. In fact, there are two outstanding examples that Jesus points out in the Gospels. They're recorded for us. There is this one and another one. When a woman, also a Gentile, a Syrophoenician woman, again, outside of the covenants of God. And remember, Jesus explicitly stated that primarily his ministry on this earth was to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He didn't go out of his way at that moment to go out and reach the Gentile world. Didn't mean to say he didn't have a plan for them. Of course he had a plan for them. He said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all people to me. Not just the people of Israel, but Jesus came as Messiah to his people, the Jewish nation. That was his primary focus. That was his primary ministry. And he knew that out of that would come a worldwide global ministry that would be taken up after the cross by those who would preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. But this Syrophoenician woman comes and, and, and her daughter is, is, is sick and there is affliction there and, and, and she begins to hound them. Jesus makes out as if he's not listening, not interested and ignores her. And the disciples say, send her away. Thank you for the disciples of Jesus. They were so wishing to send people away all the time. And we don't want to be like those disciples, do we? We want to be like Jesus who says, come to me. And then anyway, Jesus turns to her and says, listen, the bread of the kingdom belongs to the children of the kingdom. Why should I give it to the dogs? Ay, 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 ay. Wow, there is such a capacity for offense. Sometimes God offends the mind to reveal the heart. This Jesus was actually working in her so that her faith would explode and refuse a no from him. Not to accept there was going to be a no. I will not accept no for an answer. What would you say if you came to the pastor? Okay, let's, let's, put, um, let's put Pastor Gabriel here. If you came to Pastor Gabriel, Gabriel would never do this. Pastor Gabriel, would you pray for me? No, I don't pray for dogs. What would you say? What would you, oh, look at you, you're already, he hasn't even said it, and you're, you're, you're squirming already. And when you, when you understand this, I mean, dog is a dog in any language. I mean, a dog's a dog. We understand that in this country, we don't quite know what a dog is. In Africa, we know what a dog is. A dog is outside. A dog is outside, not inside. None of this, come, 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 little, no, no, out, out, out. That's a dog. A dog is outside. And uh, it's very Jewish also because dogs are outside. Dogs are outside the covenant. Dogs are unclean. Dogs are you know, the worst possible thing. You Gentile dog. That was what was behind it. Now, now that is not the language of Jesus. That's not what he's meaning here. He is making out as if he's not interested, but oh, he's interested. I kind of think he had his back to her when he talked to her, but because he was hiding his smile. And then when she came up with this answer, which was more than provoking, it was grabbing. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You can call me a dog if you want. You're not going to offend me. You're not going to put me off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dogs are not allowed to eat the table, eat the food on the table, but they can lick up the crumbs that fall from the table. So there, Mr. Jesus, you can't refuse me. 
And Jesus turned around and said, go, it's done, it's done, it's done. It was a God moment. Not only was it provoked by a woman who would not be put off, it was grabbed by a woman who would not accept no for an answer. Thank God for the women of faith. Thank God for the men of faith. And Jesus said, both these examples are great examples of kingdom moments. We notice, too, that the kingdom in the grabbing comes by action. Genuine faith will always show. I don't mean as a technique or way of testing God. Jesus was tempted to test God. Throw yourself down, do this dramatic action, and God will be forced to rescue you, and all the world will know that you are Messiah. Jesus said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. But bold, aggressive faith is not about putting God to the test. It is responding to the test that God gives us. The kingdom comes by action. It's not forced. It's not a technique. But naturally, your faith cannot help but to manifest itself. Both these occasions, particularly in the story of the centurion, the first action of faith was this man sought Jesus out. He said to his servant, stay here. I'm going to go and get help. No 999, no ambulance service. I'm going to find Jesus. He deliberately went out of his way to seek Jesus in person. His faith took him to Jesus. Your kingdom moment begins when you turn to Jesus. And then this second action, which you've already mentioned, was a kind of a negative action. It's what he did not do. What he did not allow Jesus to do. He said, don't come to my house. There may be many reasons why you wouldn't want somebody to come to your house, but somebody's going to come and bless you. You'd want that person in the house. But this man was seeing deeper than that. His action of faith was saying, no, Jesus, it's not necessary. All you need to do is speak the word. I'm not worthy of you coming anyway, but I'm grabbing you. I'm grabbing this miracle, and it can happen right here and right now. The miracle that you need in your life can happen right here and right now. As you provoke the moment, as you grab the moment, as you put your faith into action. Let's take it a little bit further before we pray. This kind of divine God kingdom moment manifests according to a plan and purpose which is bigger than you and me. When we understand God's kingdom, we know it's not just about God looking at our lives in isolation. It is about God bringing his kingdom, not just to you, but through you. And as a result of his work in you, seeing that kingdom extended way beyond. It was a prophetic event. You know, when God meets one need, many people are blessed. That's why testimony is so important. When God has done something for you, you're not boasting, you're not gloating as if you've won the lottery. You're saying, God has worked in my life. What he's done for me, he can do for you. And the kingdom results always have an impact. Many are affected. Many are impacted. And through these God moments, these kingdom moments, God shows himself and his kingdom is manifested. God wants to bless you and God wants to meet with you for many reasons. Of course, he wants to bless you because he loves you. But he wants to bless you because he wants to reveal himself through you. He wants you to be a 
testimony of his goodness and of his grace. And in today's world, when there are many restrictions concerning how we may testify to our faith, and we have tremendous legal freedoms in this country to do that, despite what people think. We have tremendous legal freedoms. But the most powerful testimony of all is the living testimony of a life that is overflowing with the goodness and with the blessing of God. One of the most attractional things on this planet is somebody who is satisfied with Jesus, who is walking with Jesus. That's why Jesus says, many will come from east and west to recline at a table with Abraham. What does he mean, east and west? He contrasts this with people coming from that locality. So in other words, he's saying, way beyond the borders of the land of Israel, where you've confined God and put him into a kind of prison of limitation, saying, this is where you must work. This is where you live. Don't think of anybody else. And Jesus said, no, no, no. This man and his actions has provoked a revelation of the goodness of God that knows no limits. No boundaries. No boundaries of race or generation of culture. No boundaries of background or language. Indeed, no boundaries of religion. Because whatever people believe, sooner or later, they've got to understand that Jesus Christ is Lord. And they, they do that when the goodness of God is revealed in your life. So that's how we provoke and grab the kingdom moment. And as I mentioned earlier, Right now, if we could see into the spiritual realm, we would see kingdom moments streaming, 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 streaming into this house. And all we have to do tonight is say, God, I'm taking my moment. What is it that you want to do for me tonight? It may be the tiniest, simplest thing that's so significant to you. It may be something that God has to speak to you about and say, listen, you know what, what you're asking for? You're not going to get it now. It's not now. There's a time and a moment for everything. But that in itself is a word from God. If, 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 if I was to tell you, you're going to get a check for a million dollars. Yeah, well, don't say amen too quickly. It's only an illustration. I don't think I'm prophesying. And you come in after the service and say, when are you going to give me that check for a million dollars? I never said, I'm going to give you a check. Somebody's going to give you a check. When? Well, I don't know when. I don't think it's now. But it's soon you would say, wow, you'd go home happy. That is a word you want to hold on to. You only, not only will you grab it, you'll blab it, wouldn't you as well? I'm getting a million dollars. All right. So it might be a word that God assures you everything's okay, that you are on track. It might be a touch in your body, and we do not limit God. I'm not making everything about demonstration of physical healings and miraculous stuff. We're not that immature that we say, God, you have to do this, or we don't believe you. No, no, no. We are open to whatever God has, and we will not limit him tonight, whatever he does. That's the beauty of it. It's God's heaven coming down, God's will coming down, and we are on the receiving end. What is it? What's the potential of this moment for you? Is there a vision that God wants to revive in you? A vision to embrace? Is there a promise that God is activating in you and he's saying, come on, claim that. 
Is it a surrender to make? That can be the most significant miracle of all when we say, God, I've been resisting you in this area. And finally I say, yes. Is it a reconciliation to effect? We believe that God is the God of reconciliation. How is it that we are still lacking in reconciliation one to the other? Is it someone that you need to forgive tonight? I don't go to them and saying, you hurt me, you offended me, and I've been unhappy for five years with you, but I want you to know that from now onwards, it's over. I forgive you. They didn't even know they did anything. Do something in your heart here tonight. Or is there a revelation to receive? You're asking God questions. You're asking God for revelation. He can speak that word to you, or at least it can release something in you that will lead to a clarification in your life. Is there a decision to take? You don't know, do I turn left, do I turn right? God can lead you, God can guide you. Is there a project that God wants you to take up again? I almost see that now, I almost see unfinished business. Stuff that you started, put on one side. You got distracted, you got discouraged. And God says to you, pick it up again. Right? Or is there something that is a new venture? Something that is new and God is encouraging you to step forward in that. Whatever it is, and I've tried to be as general as possible and think of lots of different ways in which God may be acting in our lives today, but God knows what his plan is for you. Are you ready?